0: Isn't it great that it rained? We need it. It's a good new year. New? Time travel with me for a minute. Take out your magic time-traveling hands. Go like that. You look good. (laughs) Time travel with me to 17th century Europe. And let's meet with the followers of the Baal Shem Tov, who are mourning the loss of this Jewish visionary who renewed a stagnant Judaism with his founding of Hasidism. Among the successors standing there with us is a mystic. It's Rabbi Pinchas of Koretz. And he was known to teach the following about the power of prayer. Something foreign to many of us. Rabbi Pinchas said this, the world, it's filled with God's light, but our sins, they create a separating screen for us that like a foggy mist obscures the light of the sun. So too, it prevents us from seeing holiness and wonder and awesomeness in the everyday. But when we pray, when we use our ruach, which is the Hebrew for spirit and for wind, well, that ruach, it pushes back the fog, and we can then sense the immediate presence of the holy. Now, that a Hasidic rabbi would place a lot of faith in the power of prayer, well, it's not surprising. Reb Pinchas, after all, is descended from a rabbinic grandfather who, like a 17th century Billy Graham, would wander the countryside trying to connect lost Jews. He would go from village to village, and I'm thinking of doing this in Tiburon, by the way. (laughs) And he would call upon people, despite their impious deeds, to do just one thing to change their lives. Say the Shema daily. And not only you, but your world will be transformed. Say the Shema daily. Can that utterance, Shema Israel Adonai Eloheinu, Adonai Echad, acknowledging that holiness is present all the time, that our world is really one, can that really transform our lives? Can prayer truly open the mind? and help us to achieve an awareness about reality akin to nirvana that you sometimes get at Burning Man? <laughs> Jewish skeptics cannot but wonder, and there are a few of you in here I know, if this isn't just another rabbinic example of spiritual escapism, a mentality we hold on to, born of our life in the shtetl, where or what did we do? We responded to powerlessness by embracing the escapism of mysticism, subjugating the diaspora, we suffered. But when we prayed, when we were in the life of the spirit of the mind accessed by that Ruach, well there the Cossacks could not touch us. There we dwelt in castles in the sky, living joyfully in the presence of the holy. That is one way to understand what these Hasidic masters were trying to teach us. To some of us, their Hasidic joyfulness, it seems sweetly naive. We like the black dress. The strimal thing is cool. But the prayer stuff, that engagement doesn't speak to us. You ready to time travel again? Go like that one more time. Come with me to 21st century Israel. A world that could only exist in the Baal Shem Tov's imagination. Join us as Rabbi Beth and I are walking in a park this past summer in central Jerusalem, when suddenly, echoing the opening words of Thomas Pynchon's gravity's rainbow, a screaming comes across the sky. And this time, it's a siren warning us that we have a minute and a half to get to the cover of a bomb shelter as the missiles fired by Hamas screech towards Jerusalem. Where do we go? We're in a park. Out of the corner of my eye, I see across the street a man motioning us to run into what I realize as we're running is the service entrance of the newly opened Waldorf Astoria Hotel. He graciously brings us down to their bomb shelter with the hotel guests, and I have to tell you that because it's the Waldorf, it's the nicest bomb shelter I've ever been in before. <laughs> we stand there nervously for a surreal moment, wondering if this is really happening to us. Warring, can we really be endangered, hoping, hoping that the Iron Dome, that is a product of Israeli and American partnership and the work of APAC, to convince Congress to make it, Hoping that it really does function. But after a moment, it's a Jewish bomb shelter. And so we begin to play Jewish geography with the woman next to us. We share that it's our daughter's 21st birthday. And she said, amazingly, it's her daughter's 21st birthday, too. We admit that we're rabbis from San Francisco. And so she confesses to being an orthodox lesbian judo teacher who lives in the West Bank. It's Israel. Anything's possible. But I do have to tell you, I prayed as I stood in that swanky shelter next to that woman, waiting for the all clear. And I did as I do when the plane shakes sometimes, because I have a fear of flying. I said, Shema Israel. this time from the heart. And that terrifying moment after saying those words of the tradition, I then did what you're supposed to do as a Jew. Then get to your own prayer, my own prayer words, speaking to that which I call God, making sure that my soul hears what I have to say because that's the God in me, saying I was grateful for my life, I'd like to see my children again, praying that the war would end for everyone, wondering, though, if we Jews would ever leave the metaphorical shtetl, and stop being someone else's object of oppression. You see, prayer, prayer can be your truth talk, but you need to talk to yourself. With you engaging directly at any moment in any place, speaking to God, but speaking to your heart and soul in a way that you don't get to when you're rushing through your day, everybody. Prayer does not have to be poetry or profound but just speaking your words. Yes, when you allow yourself to have a life of the Spirit, when you understand that being human is not just existentially being guided by reason or science, but involves as well expressions of love and of longing and poetry and appreciation then you open up a powerful means of support for yourself, even in the most difficult of situations. What did the Waldorf become for me that moment? My sanctuary, in a a spiritual way. And as I prayed, the fog that was in my mind, that blocked some of my understanding, it parted. Tom, for a moment, I thought about how we Jews, just as Zionism had predicted, had re-entered history. The medievalists said we left history and we lost the nation state. And we know such a radical change of our status inevitably involves challenges, compromise, sometimes terrible disappointment. Some of us find ourselves uncomfortable as we leave the realm of the mythic Jew the one whom our oppressors preferred to see as God's abandoned, but we took the opportunity to re-enter history. We established a state of Israel, and now that we are beyond the idealized Israeli period, now that we're in the 21st century, in which we told ourselves that kibbutzniks only cleared empty swampland and that Israeli soldiers, like comic book superheroes, only do good. Now that we're in the real world, the world and we Jews do have to come to terms with the fact that Jews have power, that like any nation that believes in itself, Israel will fight for its survival, sometimes with tragic consequences, which we cannot ignore, but must mourn and must challenge to do better. Our covenant requires, you see, that we live in history, but that we also hold on to our sense of purpose as a Jewish people of being an oral Lugoyim, a light unto the nations that can help lead the world forward to being a better place. So in this new reality, how are we feeling? I know that our ability to see a way forward towards fulfilling that goal of being a light, it feels blurry right now. It feels blurred by the fog of fear, of hopelessness, of resignation, that nothing will ever change. So, I think we should reconsider Rabbi Pinchas' insight that we have to use prayer, and the pursuit of holiness as a means to push back the mist that blinds us to hope, that tells us we can't pursue peace when we must. Perhaps he was not so otherworldly after all. These early hostages were not trying to escape reality. They wanted to bring meaning and awareness of holiness into our everyday so we could face our problems and make a difference. They lived in the real world, dealing with real challenges of the human condition. I love this story. Once Rabbi Pinchas entered the house of study and saw his disciples who'd been talking in that boyish kind of way suddenly become silent as he approached. What were you talking about, he demanded. And they didn't respond at first. Finally they s- said, "Revi, we were saying how afraid we are that the evil urge will always pursue us, the Yetzirah. Don't worry, he replied. You've not gotten wise enough or mature enough for the evil urge to pursue you. It's okay, boy chick. Because for the time being, you are too busy pursuing it yourselves, Facing the real challenges of anti-Semitism, of poverty, of hopelessness, these mystics understood that it is the spiritual part of Judaism that can help sustain us as we meet those challenges head-on as a Jewish community. Today, as we confront similar challenges, that which sustained us then, if we would only rediscover it in a serious way, not just at Rosh Hashanah, can help us now. Prayer, whether in community or on your own, it is an essential human activity. And it can ground us when we're afraid. It can renew us when we're tired. It can center you when you feel lost. Prayer does frame the context of your life, if you think about it, when you let it at certain points. Remember that wedding you went to? Maybe it was yours. And the power of saying Yanu, thanking God for letting you reach this moment. Or, when a loved one dies, how Kaddish, as a prayer, can give us emotional support when you, when you have almost nothing else to lean on. To me, it does not matter if you believe in that which we call God. Judaism, in this way, is much more Eastern, much more like Buddhism, when it teaches that this prayer is a meditation to get us to stop And listen and be aware and start to flex the muscles of the spirit in you lying dormant that when you start to exercise it can amazingly push back such powerful forces in life including a sense of meaninglessness, your lack of self-worth, the grip of despondency, and allow you to see that life is still beautiful despite your pain. So too, this thing called prayer, it helps us to more fully taste the joys of life and see wonder when we would normally rush as we do through so much of life unaware. And then this prayer can and must inspire us as Jews, to keep tirelessly engaging in tikkun olam in believing that the world can be repaired and knowing that we, whether in Israel or here in the United States, in the diaspora, can be a part of that change. You know about a prayer a Hasidic master taught once that one sings unto God in order to help God or the Holy sing in us. Start to remember how to sing that song in your life. Now, I know that there are those of you sitting there who believe that it's the pursuit of knowledge that should be enough to push back the fog. But technology you know full well, designed to help us know more, when overused, can narrow our human perspective. Sometimes on a Sunday morning when I walk down the halls of the temple, I see people sitting next to each other, parents, with that matrix-like gaze on their faces. Because what are they looking at? So focused on their screens, parallel playing perhaps, but not really connecting. A recent New York Times article warned that even our sense of touch, the human sense of touch, is being affected by our over-reliance on these gadgets that we love. And so taking a break on Shabbat, to stop and meditate in community, to sing and study and pray, to put down the iPhone or iPad and connect with a miracle sitting next to you, you may find that you have a powerful means to bring perspective and courage and hope and renewal back into your life. That's why we're going to work so hard this year to encourage you to come to our Emmanuel Shabbat services and join our new one Shabbat at 6 o'clock. It was a miracle. We even found parking for you. You'll hear more about that from our president. (laughs) This is why we're encouraging you this year to say a prayer when you wake up in the morning and accept one more day of the gift of life. You can say, Mode'ani Fanacha. How grateful I am that I'm here for another day. What can you do when you're going to one of the new restaurants in town? Before you eat, everybody? Stop and say emozzi. Don't think that it's just the Mormon family doing that over there. But we Jews can stop and express gratitude for the food we have and taste the wonder of life. Research even posits that such intentional spiritual awareness aids your diet. And when you walk, by the way, or go to bed at night, put your kids to bed, take a moment and say Shema. Connect yourself to all that is one. Begin to open your spiritual eyes to this amazing wonder that you have the privilege of experiencing. Now remember, Jewish prayer can be mantra-like. It's not always about the meaning in the prayer book. Hold up your prayer book for a sec. For the first thousand years of Judaism or so, guess what? We didn't have one. So what did they do? The leader led for a little bit. And then people prayed their own prayers. They said the words of their heart, whether in Hebrew or English, with movement, music, and meditation, start to take your words to the holy and begin to push back the fog. Let's time travel one last time. It's the new year, so let's go back to the beginning. Come with me to the poetic beginning, to the Garden of Eden, We're at that moment where Eve has bitten into the fruit. She, of course, has decided whether or not she'll give wisdom to men or not. Some women think that was a mistake. But she does. Western civilization teaches that that was an apple. But Jewish tradition argues that it was a pomegranate and inside were the 613 commandments, the mitzvot, meant to guide your life towards meaning. After tasting of it, what was their first act? What did they do? They covered themselves. They had to make clothing. They made something. And the Torah then tells us that they have to realize that the human journey to knowing is not just about things, which is one kind of awareness, but achieving an understanding of being. You see, as you Jews, us Jews, we're given this holy task to be both rational and spiritual. We're integrated knowledge seekers. We are some of the most scientifically inclined people in the world. But we should know that seeking meaning only in reason is not living fully. We need a life of the Spirit to achieve a sense of wonder, to truly taste the fruit of life. A sense of wonder that Abraham Joshua Heschel called radical amazement, but I think is only achieved when we strive for radical awareness. So come strive for that awareness in community or on your own. Pray with us on Shabbat this year. It'll only be an hour, I promise, each service. (laughs) Seek that awareness. Push back the fog and let yourself better see the light of wonder that pervades the everyday. Stop worrying that you don't know the Hebrew or you don't know how or that it's too late to start or that you don't have the right set of beliefs to pray. Please don't wait until you're in a bomb shelter with rockets whistling over your head to pray because prayer is ultimately like that muscle. And when you exercise it, the power to meditate and find your center does become instantly present. So yes, let this synagogue be your spiritual jinn. And let the rabbis and cantors here will be your personal trainers. This year, start to open up the treasures of Judaism and that spiritual awareness that lies deep within you. And let prayer, like the fruit from Eden's tree, then give you the courage to do what you're supposed to do. Go out and be a healer of the world, a challenger against injustice, a fearless seeker of knowledge, one who is not satisfied with the status quo, but who wants to see transformation in the world. Open your eyes to the light of holiness that, like the Golden Gate Bridge on a foggy morning, when we let our spirits push back that fog, is majestically there for all to see. And we will be those partners with the holy to bring about the next step in the world. True transformation, true peace. Shana Tova Umituka. Shana Tova, everybody.